back to Blair and Barker. It's an off day, Blair and Barker. Uh, not more, for us. Not for us. No, but I mean for the Jays, it's an off day. More they'll take on the Los Angeles Angels. I'm, got, I'm sure they're going to sleep most of the day away. I still want to call them the California Angels. I don't know. Like you, you know, you travel from St. Louis to California. You get in around two o'clock California time, two o'clock in the morning. Um, now I know they've got. I'm sure this team has three or four speech uh, speech sleep specialists. If they do have a speech specialist, please send it over here. We can, there are times of the day where well, I well, you use could them. use it. I, oh God, I'm yeah. perfect. Listen, I'm not. Uh, listen, I don't need any of that. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> you know what they say: the less you know about something, the easier it is. Boom. To, anyhow, yes. Not nice. Um, so, uh, there we are. The, uh, I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, the old story is what do you do when you make that West Coast road trip? Do you automatically go to West Coast time? Like, I, whenever I traveled internationally for work, whenever I landed, that was my body time. If I mm. was going to the Olympics in China, 7 o'clock at night, doesn't matter what the real time was, it was 7 o'clock at night, and I'd go about doing what I would do at 7 o'clock at night and just hit the ground running. But I've always found it hard to to feel sorry for people that that fly on on jets with filet mignon and lobster, and then they show up at two o'clock. It's not like they drove there and it's show and go. So it's not I like that eleven thirty a.m. game in Pawtucket. Uh, let me Pawtucket. tell you, I tried to get thrown out of, and they won't let me. <laughs> Greg Gibson forever. Hey, dude, I'm pretty sure it was him that forever your favorite that, umpire. And I, and I, yeah, well, he he is a. Because you wanted it was funniest, a, well, just I like people, you wanted it was eleven thirty so in right down the middle. I'd had enough. I was an older guy. I just yeah. didn't want to be there. Plain and simple. And Rick Sweet put me in lineup. I told him I'm gonna get thrown out. I'm gonna try anyway. First pitch was center cut right down the middle. And Greg, if anybody ever talked to Greg, which I'm sure nobody does, yeah. ever listens to this because he's an umpire and he wants to talk to umpires. But he is a really nice dude and he is very witty. Yeah. Like he'll come back at you real quick. And the first thing out of his mouth was, "If I got to be here, guess what? You got to be here." So nice try. Let's <laughs> bring in Ryan Dempster of Post uh, of Off the Mound in the 2000, 2013 World Series champion. Ryan, we got a lot. We got a lot uh, we want to get to. Did you ever have that dreaded 11:30 a.m. start in Pawtucket? He's a big leaguer. Yeah, well, I did. I started on Patriots Day in uh, in Boston. Well, that's a big that league game. That's a big start, league man. game. That's a big league game. I was in Paul Tucky oh, and minor AAA. league games. All the, you know, the, the school day where there's like, you know, 50,000 kids going. there. And it's a, basically, it's a, it's a spring training game. And I tried to get thrown out and they wouldn't throw me out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's something Greg would say too. A hundred percent. That's exactly what he said. It was, he was. He'd give you that look. He did. Hey, he if I'm staying here, you're staying that's here. It. That's it. Yeah. 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 Um, we'd, well, we'd have like, you know, my favorite, I was talking about it last night to, to Boog Shambier, our play-by-play guy, the getaway day in the minor leagues, that last day of the year, the game would be about a buck 15. Yeah. Everybody's swinging first pitch, 1230 start. Let's go boys. Let's get home. Yeah. Well, I remember those times. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, it's yeah. The, the, the final game of the year was always something. I remember Felipe Alou never used to do a post-game interview after the final game. <laughs> we had and one time he left in the seventh inning, of the final game of the year, major league nice. game. Good he did. Him. No, he did. He just said, "I'm I'm gone. I got a flight to Florida." And hell, nothing was going to happen. Hey, uh, before we uh, before I, I wanted to talk to you about Vladdy and uh, and Shohei Shohei Otani coming up and whether or not this 
head-to-head thing matters for pitcher or hitter. I wanted to talk to you about uh, the Fergie Jenkins ceremony that you were part of. I mean, great job by the by the Cubs, first of all. I caught a bit of it. I, I love the statue. Um, they had it. Man, there was a ton of people showing up for that, wasn't there? Yeah, it was, a, it was an incredibly special day. And Gallagher Way right out in front of Wrigley Field there was completely packed. The statue, I mean, bang on. You know, it looks like he, he just literally like bronze Fergie himself. It looks so good. And then Fergie, what a what a cowboy coming out there with that blue blazer on with that <laughs> cowboy hat and all black. And he's just so humble and he's so kind and thoughtful. And, you know, watching him afterwards with everybody that was there, taking pictures, shaking hands, saying thank you. His speech was amazing. His teammates all there, you know. To see CC Sabathian, Adam Jones fly in, yeah, just for that, you know, like, pretty special. What a, what a special day, you know. And I had a chance to catch up with him right after, and we were just talking about it. And, you know, like his legacy's forever cemented there, a bronze there, for his kids, his grandkids, and for Cubs fans and baseball fans forever. You'll know about Ferguson Jenkins, and not just you don't get a statue for being a great player. Yeah, you get a statue because you, because you're a great human being, and he, he's definitely one of those. I was going to say, too, I mean, you know, every time we talk about Fergie, I just tell people, go, the younger people, go Google his, his ref, baseball reference page and just look at the numbers because you're not going to see them <laughs> too many places. He won 20 games six years in a row. That's crazy. I know. I know. And, and then he's playing for the Globetrotters. He's yep. telling Billy Williams was talking a story about how he pitched the game. Next day, got up and went and skated with the Blackhawks. <laughs> like... Got to get my conditioning in somehow, you know. Like, this guy is just freak athlete, could hit, everything, his whole story. Incredible man. Yeah. Dev, Dev I, I, I was thinking about when I was watching the game last night and I saw Wayne Gretzky, and I'm like, man, that's the greatest hockey player in the history of the world. And I was thinking if I ever got to meet him, because I never have, how would I feel about that? And it's sort of when I hear you talking about Fergie, it's sort of that same feeling. And when I was in the big leagues and I was around all those superstars and those guys that I was trying to be like, you got to get used to that. Like that's a, you know, it's, it's humbling to think, man, look how good he is. And I'm actually standing here. It's pretty cool. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I remember that myself. You know, the first person I ever walked, ironically, walked in the big league locker room my very first year in 1998. There was a short window. Mike Piazza was a catcher for the Florida Marlins. Yeah. And I walk in, and there's Mike Piazza. He's like, hey, how you doing? Congratulations. And I'm like, that's Mike Piazza. <laughs> I've been watching you on TV for the last 10 years. Like, you know, like, here I am. That, that does take a while to get used it to. It does. To understand that you belong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did want to ask you about uh, the, the, the Jays going in to play, to play the Angels this weekend in a four-game series. Now, you know, spring training, Vladdy. A couple of times, you know, Vladdy talked about how last year was the trailer, this year was the movie. He sort of kind of joked about, you know, the least you guys could have done is given me one MVP vote. You know, that would have been nice. And then <laughs> and then he's talked about wanting to win the Triple Crown. Does that – do guys – is there such a thing still as a head-to-head battle, Ryan? And if there is, who is the guy that you, for whatever reason, you don't have to tell us the reason, but who is the guy you absolutely had to get out? Like, if you didn't get him out, your day was ruined. Uh, yeah, probably Chipper Jones. Okay. You know, just because like, I faced him so much and you go up into Atlanta and he come up to hit in the first and, you know, you just struck out the first two batters of the game and all of a sudden it's all aboard. Here comes crazy train and you're like, yeah. play starts going nuts. So you're like, oh, man, this is like, for me, that felt like one of the bigger 
moments a guy that I always wanted to make sure I got. And he got me, but I'm fair enough right against him. But it is a thing. Like, listen, when you're a superstar like that and you're used to going everywhere and the cameras are on you and the lights are on you and the media is on you and the fans want your autograph and they want pictures and every time you come to play, everybody's on their feet. And all of a sudden you start playing against another team and they have somebody that's doing that. You're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. Mm-hmm. This guy, this guy's not number one. I'm number one. You know, I think when you're a superstar like that, you have a little bit of an ego and that's fine. I think that's why you're as good as you are. So I think there's that little just kind of inside of you, almost like kind of like subconsciously, it just happens. And then you'll see guys when they're playing against really good players, you know, it's not just Otani. There's Mike Trout there. Mike Trout's back to being Mike Trout guys. So it's like, mm-hmm. You know, for Vladdy going in there, it's like, let me put on a show. Let me let me remind everybody what I'm all about, you know? And I, and I think that can be the kind of thing, too, that can spark a player all of a sudden just get really, really hot. I, I was going to ask you that, Dan, but I need you to take the normal fan. I'm sort of in that group because I, I, I didn't do it as long as you did at the big league level. Uh, for whenever you struggle for a period of time, say it's three or four starts in a row, and then you have either that one good at bat against that really good hitter, and then you have a really good inning, and then you have a, a really good couple of innings, and then you turn that into a good game. What can that do to your Whatever it does, because we were talking about this, you know, this one game for the Blue Jays offensively, can it carry over and they start being that team that they were last year, this year? What what does that do for you? What what does it take to do to be able to do that? Yeah, well, you're exactly right. It can do that because I've, I've had it on a personal level, you know, where I've just been really struggling and all of a sudden you just have a good game and it it reminds you that, oh, you can do this. You can locate. You can get guys out. And then on a team level, there's always moments throughout a season where, you know, that could be, you know, your manager getting kicked out, arguing balls and strikes for you. And it's like, all right, that's the rallying moment, man. He's throwing a hat around. He's throwing dirt around. Everything's going crazy. And you rally behind that. It could be a brawl. It could be, you know, a game that you come back when you're way down. I remember the Cubs. It was uh, 08. We were down like by like nine to the Rockies. And we were kind of just like underachieving a little bit. Like we were playing good, but we weren't. We had a great team. Lou took all our starters out. He put all our our lemons in. Mm-hmm. We called them the lemons, you know, because put lemons in, you make lemonade. And they made they made the best lemonade there was. We came back and won the game ten nine. And it's like all of a sudden it's like yeah, we can beat anybody because that moment happens. And then you just get on a roll, you know, and and you just got to go out there next to you. So those those moments can definitely happen. It's weird why they do. I can't explain why they happen. I think it's just positive reinforcement. You know, bad luck, you're lining out, you're lining out, your balls are falling in or they're going the hole, and you're like, man, we can't do anything to win. And all of a sudden it goes your way, and you're like, here we go. All right, now everybody's happy again, and then when you're happy, you play well. You, you, you hear a lot of, they say that hitting's contagious. Now, see, I, I was in that camp. I don't believe that. If I can't hit a breaking ball, just because <laughs> that guy in front of me is hitting a breaking ball don't mean I'm going to hit it. But I do think there's something to the approaches, and, and I see my buddy in there grinding, has a two-strike approach, all those things. And explain it to me. Is, is that true? Like, uh, we'll say the pitching side of it. Is pitching contagious? Is hitting contagious? Is just the game of baseball contagious? Yeah, and I loved what you said there, Kev. Hitting is is contagious when the approach is contagious. Yeah. Like when the guys are all grinding out and they're putting together tough at-bats and they're not giving away at-bats, they're not going up there on three pitches and striking out. The guy in the on-dexter was like, man, he's watching all that. The guy in the railing who's hitting behind him in the hole, he's watching that. 
I was in the bench for watching that, and then that's what leads to, you know, production is the process and the the approach, and then it certainly does become contagious. And then you don't want to be the guy that's not doing that because the manager's watching, the hitting coaches are watching. It's like, well, let's not play him. He's he's throwing away at bats right now. So now you get into that everybody just grinding pitchers out. You're making that starter work. He's out of there by the third or fourth inning, you know, and you're now you're getting the bullpen, the game one of the series, and now you've seen all the relievers. That is, you're darn right. And on a pitching side, when pitchers start going, I mean, it's a little different, right? Things have changed, obviously. The deep in the ballgame stuff's not happening as much, although I think the teams that do that are the better teams in the league because they let their starters go. But So when the pitcher's going, you know, Gossman goes out there. Look at case in point. Manoa goes eight. You don't think every starter in that rotation is like, whoa, whoa, hold on a sec. I want to go eight. Let me go eight. I'm going to go nine. Like Ted Lilly would walk by me. If I went eight innings and he was starting the next day, he'd walk by me in the locker room after the game and go, well, guess I've got to go nine tomorrow if you're only going to go eight. <laughs> you know, like that's a good teammate. That's pushing you to get the best out of yourself. And absolutely. And when it's going bad, it's just the same way. So it definitely works. That contagious vibe just it feeds, it permeates, and it happens. It's real. Uh, we just had uh, Dan Shulman on, and one of the talking points with the Blue yeah. Jays during this slump has been the fact that they're so right-hand heavy. They don't have that impactful left-handed bat. And one of the stories Dan was telling us, and he didn't say who the pitcher was, but he said, look, I talked to somebody this weekend, a pitcher, and I asked him, okay, not all right-handed hitters are the same. Obviously, not all hitters are the same. But the visual, if you're on the mound and you see right-hander followed by right-hander followed by right-hander followed by right-hander. The visual is kind of the same, and that helps the pitcher. You've been in that situation. Is there something to that, just seeing guys yeah. standing on the right side all the time? I always felt the hardest lineups to navigate for me were when it was right, left, right, to off the bat, or left, right, left, whatever it was. If it was – because in the first inning, I'm – the bullpen mound, they do a great job nowadays of making them all uniform, the same clay is out in the bullpen as it is on the field. Like some of the ballparks, you know, Philadelphia is a sandbox out in the bullpen, and then you come in the mound, and it was steeper, and you're trying to find your bearings. So if I can visually sit there and see, it's almost like your coach, you're throwing a pen, and he's just standing in there in the right-handed batter's box, pitch after pitch, I can lock it in a little quicker. When all of a sudden i got to go lefty, now i got to command both sides of the plate right away. And my breaking ball maybe is shaped a little bit differently, the righty and lefty. It just creates a little bit, of, a tiny little bit of chaos for me as a pitcher. And that's why, like, sometimes, Kev, you know this, you would always hear guys go, got to get him in the first before he gets settled in. Mm-hmm. Easier to get settled in when the look's all the same over and over. When you change it up just a little bit, right off the bat, that second hitter different than the side of the plate than the first hitter, it does help. It provides a lot of help, you know. Like, I just think it messes with pitchers as far as their visuals, for sure. Uh, Ryan, we really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much, man. Thanks a lot. Good Great insight. Stuff. Yeah, am I, am I sucking wind here? I'm, I'm in Cincinnati climbing the stairs up the mountain. That's awesome. Uh, Good for it? you. Mount Hyde or whatever, yeah. yeah. No, you've done well. well. Way to go. Just stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> Always great to be with you, man. Thanks. All right. Take care. Ryan Dempster. I mean, talk about a trooper going up and down a staircase in Cincinnati. Way to go. Working out. That's probably, what do you think it is in Cincinnati? 190? It's not, not cold. It's not, no. No, no, that's not cold. We appreciate Ryan Dempster doing that. So there you go. There you go. Asked Ryan Dempster the question about the visual for a pitcher seeing a parade of right-handed uh, There's no question. Hitters. There's no question. It's it's a it's a thing. It, it Their lineup early in the season has allowed decent pitching to get through 
in, in deeper into games just because they're right-handed. And that's, again, that gets back to that, you know, he, he mentioned the shaping of the breaking ball. He mentioned arm side mm-hmm. to work on both sides of the plate. And we talk about Barrios. We talk about Kevin Gosman. We talk about uh, Alec Manoa, arm side command, how important that is, away to a lefty, into a righty. But if you're facing lefty, righty, lefty, righty, you have to do that on both sides of the ball. Your mechanics have to be better. Your arm slot has to be the same all the time. Your release point has to be the same. And now you're asking yourself to throw and shape a different breaking ball, throw it a different mile per hour. It's a lot to ask. That's why the good teams do it. They throw lefty-righty, lefty-righty at you. And I said this at the beginning of the season, and I'll say it again. They can win the American League East with this right-handed lineup. At least for me, anyway. They're not going deep in the playoffs unless they get some better left-handed hitters to break up those really good right-handed pitching. Uh, that was, that was my, my point all along. Um, I understand that, uh, you know, as, as several people have pointed out, all right, you guys keep talking about you need – more balance. Well, which batter are you taking out of the lineup? You know, I would suggest now it's not out of the question that Lourdes Gurriel Jr.'s playing time could be cut and could be cut down by a good left-handed hitter. I keep saying this, and I'm not advocating you trade the guy, and I'm certainly not advocating you trade the guy now. But you know, at some point, we've talked about coming to contractual decisions with guys. And at some point, you got to do something with Tay Oscar. Sure. And I, again, don't say that I'm saying trade him, but but. I've got to think the Jays have a pretty good idea by now whether or not that's going to get done. If you're going to get an impactful left-handed hitter, I mean, you just you just don't know. But those are the only two places I see I see that as a possibility. And I think Danny's right. Look, we know what this organization is going to look for. They're going to look for a left-handed hitter or switch hitter who can play multiple positions because mm-hmm. that's that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. Um, that's great stuff. It is. And when you do, and I'm with you, listen, when you get to the playoffs and matchups really, 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 really matter, that's when you need to have something different. That's when you need to have a wrinkle just to force the guy in the other team to think twice before he makes a pitching move, or at least force the khakis in the other team to think twice nice. before they send down. Nice. Until he managed to make a pitching move. A uh, reminder that uh, Barker's back leg bits, DMs are open. And uh, SN Jeff Blair is my Twitter handle. You still have time to get in your back leg bits. Um, got a trivia question today to win tickets to see the Jays and the White Sox at the Rogers Center on June 1st. Yesterday's trivia question was a good one. Name the World Series MVP the last time the White Sox won it all. The answer was Jermaine Dye. Um, I mean, I, you know, I felt bad because I covered that World That was one of the worst World Series ever, by the way. Houston and Chicago. It was just, it was not good. Uh, Detroit and San Francisco was pretty close, except San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Chicago and Houston was... Uh, Anyhow, Jermaine Dye was the answer mm-hmm. uh, to that particular question. Today's question, as I mentioned, is to win tickets to Tiger to see the Jays and White Sox down at the Rogers Center on June 1st. Question, this pitcher holds the White Sox record for most strikeouts in one season. Again... This pitcher holds the White Sox record for most strikeouts in one season. We're giving you a chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long here in Blair and Barker. Whether you listen on the radio or on the podcast, all you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily question, 590-590. This pitcher holds the White Sox record for most strikeouts in one season, and I am embarrassed to say that I skirted all around this, and Mm -hmm. you could have given me an hour, and I was not going to get this unless I I went online. I was not going to get it. I'm with you. Text the answer to 590-590 for your shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. We will have more tickets to give away 
next week. Tony Maserati, Red Sox analyst, joins us at 1130 to take a look at the Red Sox, who, as we mentioned, are uh, smoking hot right now. Is this as this um, as this division kind of kind of gets bunched up, bunched is bunched up a bit. Got a bunch of teams in this in this uh, in this division besides the the Rays, I believe. The Rays offensively, they're going to be up and down. They got a little different approach than most of the other teams. It's a lot of all or nothing. We're trying to get it in the air out. Homer, you because we have good pitching, we can win some five to four or five to three games. The the Red Sox are, are for me when I watch Trevor's story that that needs to be Vladdy. That that just that when he shows up at the park, man, you just know it's going to be fireworks. He's going to be hitting balls all over the place. It's going to be out in front, and he's going to hit homers. That's sort of sort of what the, they're trying this a coaching staff to get Vladdy to look like, and, mm-hmm. and and you know take off and and help the Blue Jays. But yeah, it's a they, we mentioned balance. You got Verdugo, you got Devers, you got Story, you got JD Martinez, uh, you got you got Bogarts. Like you got some guys there if you're a pitcher. Who you got to make some good pitches. Then you add that short porch and left, where you got lefties there, endeavors trying to go the other way. Uh, he's got enough bat speed that he can do that. He can think green monster and still hit velocity to the pull side, which is that's elite stuff. Humans can't do that. And for them to have the balance that they have, and you get Trevor Story just going out there and and you know, I, I was listening to him talk on the MLB network a couple of days ago, and and he was talking about I wanted to get my I want to I want to level out my swing. I want to hit a line drive up the middle and I want to get a good pitch to hit. And I was like, man, that sounds so simple. I just say that sounds like the easiest approach ever. And then you look at his numbers and you wonder why his numbers are the way they are. It's simple. This I say I don't want to say dumb it down because that's the wrong phrase to say because these guys are very smart and they're very educated on what they're trying to do at the plate and you have to do be that way because of the shift because you're trying to hit it where they ain't and normally that's over them so how do you do that you overthink it sometimes and for him to come out and say it yeah. and the, his numbers are adding up to what he says see I I late stuff I don't think it's dumb it down as much as it is filter I I really believe that you need that's a good way you to say need it. to sure. You're going to have a lot of people in your ear and you need to you need to understand what you need to understand the rest is just I want. Like just let it And he did say wash. expectations are coming from Colorado to Boston. Oh, yeah. Holy moly. It's like I signed, you know, this is him talking. I signed for 140 large. You need to live up from day yeah. 1 to 140 Listen, large. I, it's not Colorado anymore. No, and and you know, I've written about this on, on sportsnet.ca in my column as well. The 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 problem with the problem with free agents <clears throat> when they come to Boston is especially position players and they sign a contract like that and 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 this is not look I'm not blaming Trevor story for this it's not his fault that Xander Bogarts is on the team mm-hmm. and that but the point is in 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 Boston every big contract like that is automatically viewed through the lens of Carl <clears throat> Carl Crawford's contract yep it just is and and that's I mean, that's just the way it is. And if you're a player, if you're a player, you've got to deal with that. And I admit, I'm still, I'm still, I mean, there's some media markets. I'm still skeptical about Trevor Story's ability to handle Boston, just as I was skeptical about David Price. I still think David Price, man, should have gone to St. Louis. He would have been a king in St. Louis. Got one beat writer covering the team, one columnist. 
it's there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes with being a member of the Boston Red Sox. And I don't care what your agent tells you. I don't care what your teammates tell you until you lived it, until you realize what it takes to be successful and to flourish in that market. Yeah, I, I'm trying to, I, I can't remember if it was Pedro Martinez talking about this in the MLB network. It might have been, it might have even been Mike Lowell. And and their point was, you know what the the ideal thing to do is? The ideal thing is to join the Red Sox on a trade and then sign a multi-year contract or sign a one-year contract with the Red Sox and then get the big money. So you've had a chance to be in that market. Mm -hmm. The fans have had a chance to get used to you and they're not looking at every at-bat thinking, God, we got this guy for seven seven more years. And it's interesting. His uh, And I wish I could remember who said it, but the idea that Boston's kind of one of those markets where you – you want to play before you commit. I think there might be something to it. Maybe I I, I still love the filter phrase that you said. That, that, that's that's a perfect way, but it's 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 very hard. Oh, it's when, hard, yeah. When you're not used to getting lambasted for struggles because you came from Denver and the Rockies. Do they do they care that Trevor Story gets off to slow Hell starts? No. no, they they've seen it. They know where they're at. They know the yeah. division they're playing in. They know where they're going to finish. Yep. And then when you come to the Red Sox and you get off to that start that you are, and then oh by the way, the shortstop is going to opt out, and he may leave, and now you have to, you know, be better and play shortstop on top of that. There's yeah. – that's, th- that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of things going on, and, and it takes you a little while. And he said I had to – this is him talking. I had to take a step back and, and talk to my wife, and my wife was saying, you got to breathe, man. Like, yeah. you got to – you just got to oh, yeah. understand that you're a good player and, and try and figure it out, and that's what he's doing. Yeah, and listen, you know, I, I joke about the Red Sox, but I don't know Trevor's story. I certainly don't wish – anything anything bad happened to Trevor's story I, I I just I worry about I worry about dudes who make a commitment like that and I believe me I understand the money I just worry about dudes who make a commitment like that to that market because until you've been there until you've lived it I don't think you really know what mm-hmm. you're signing up for speaking of the Red Sox Tony Maserati Red Sox analyst and Nesson <clears throat> pardon me Nesson host on 98.5 the Sports Hub in Boston he'll join us next Parker's back leg bits as well it's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're about... 10 or 15 minutes away from Parker's back leg bits. Let me just check and see how many. How many we got? We got a lot. Mm. Uh, Big shout out to Cheryl Fullerton, by the way, for sending me uh, cool photos from St. Louis. She was at the game, has a couple of really decent shots from beside the dugout. So uh, shout out to Cheryl. Hopefully the trip back is good. We're going to St. Louis to watch a baseball game. Should be on your, if you're a fan, it should be on your bucket list. It really place. should be. I've never played the new one. Played the old one. I'll, I mean, the old one was the Coke bottle in right center field. Yeah. Pretty this, sure there's a Coke bottle in right center field in the old one. No, it'd be a beer bottle, but there was no. Was it a beer bottle? Yeah. No, I don't even know if there was a beer. All I remember about it is it was round. It was Bush Stadium. It was round. It was like one of those cookie cutter stadiums. And then you get the Clydesdales coming out every night with the Budweiser song, and it was stinking hot. I also remember that. It was stinking hot. The press box had uh, 
oh God, the press box had cockroaches the size of cats. Leave it to you to ruin it for me. And the food was good though. Leave it to you to ruin it. Anyhow, um, so uh, Cheryl, thanks for the pictures. We hope you get you, you mm. have a, a safe trip back. Gregory J. Zink has made up a Blair and Barker bingo card. I'm just going to run through this. Do we have Tony right now? Okay, we'll 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 get to the bingo card later. Tony's more important right now. Tony's more important. But, but it's bingo, funny. The, the bingo, bingo is funny. The bingo card has got some. There's some some interesting. Things. Tony needs a bingo card. Yeah, this this bingo, the Blair and Barker bingo card is. You can tell it's written by a Barker fan because there's some stuff in there that's just not right. <laughs> it's a, they Anyhow, nailed it. They nailed it. That's true. <laughs> Tony, how you doing, man? Tony Maserati, Red Sox analyst, host on 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston. You're covering the best team in baseball. Congrats. <laughs> well, so first of all, uh, I think the bingo card is more important, but that's just my two cents. Uh, <laughs> Secondly, I would tell you that uh, I'm covering the hottest team in baseball right now. I wouldn't say necessarily uh, that that relates to the whole season, but they've certainly played better in the last two weeks. Tony, like who who kidnapped Trevor's story? <laughs> what, what, hap- what happened there? Who kidnapped him and replaced him with, I don't know, uh, pick a guy? So, Jeff, look, uh, my personal opinion is that, you know, I've never been a huge Trevor Story guy, and it's not really a Trevor Story thing as much as it is a Colorado thing. I have a bias against players in Colorado. I will fully admit that. I just think that none of them are ever quite as good out of Colorado as they are in Colorado, and some of them are considerably worse. Now, in the case of Story, it's hard to imagine him starting out much worse than he did. It was just, uh, you know, it was a train wreck, frankly. He couldn't make contact. Uh, he was hitting, you know, in the high 100s at one point. Defensively, he was having difficulty getting acclimated to second base. Uh, and it wasn't horrible defensively, but just kind of, you know, he didn't look, he didn't look right there. And I would say that, you know, in the last couple of weeks, things have totally flipped the other way. Now, you know, I, I'm not making excuses for him, but he did have a tumultuous spring. He signed late. He had to leave because of the birth of his child. Then he got sick early in the season. So he didn't really have a, a, a consecutive stretch of playing time until, uh, you know, really a couple of weeks into the, into the uh, regular season. And, um, you know, I, I don't think he's as good as he's playing right now because nobody is. But I certainly don't think he's as bad as he's as bad as he was at the beginning of the season either. And, and we know that in baseball, it water finds its level. Tony, how do you think the Bogart, how, how do you think the Bogarts conversations has, has affected how he's gotten off to a slow start? Now he's turned it around, obviously, and he's mentioned in interviews what he's done offensively to, to turn this around. But I would think if I were a second baseman who got paid a lot of money to come in and the shortstop's talking about leaving, who is a great hitter, a really good defender, I'm starting to think to myself, there's a lot of pressure on me here to, to do well, and maybe when he leaves, I can go back to playing shortstop. Is there anything to that, you think? Oh, well, he got thrust right into the middle of this. I don't, I don't think there's any question, Kevin. It, it, he got thrust into the middle of it. And when he, uh, when he, when they did the press conference to announce his signing, you know, one of the things he said was, this is the right place for me, and I'm looking forward to playing second base this year. 
But he said this year. Mm. He didn't say second. He didn't say second base for the next six years, and he signed a six-year contract. So now, look, do, do I think the Red Sox brought Trevor Story here to leverage Xander Bogarts out of town? Yes, I do. Uh, do I think there's a chance still that Bogarts will stay? Yes, I do. Again, I don't know what I'd put that percentage at, but it's less than 50-50. And so, and historically, guys that, uh, you know, that reach free agency and sign big contracts, about 10% of them stay with their regular team. Nine out of 10 leads. So, now, did that weigh on story on the field? I, I tend to think it was more than other things. The fact that uh, that he was in, you know, involved somehow in the Bogart story, and not somehow, but involved in the Bogart story. Um, but I, you know, look clearly if it was bugging him at the beginning, it's not bugging him now, and they're through it. Now I understand that uh, Chris Sale is uh, is throwing bullpen sessions. Um, I'm I'm just reading actually a quick glance at MLB.com. He's he's still in that process of building up through. Uh, bullpen sessions when do they expect him back and if this team tony can hold serve until he gets back be where they are now or let's even let's see uh, even better give them you know give them a couple more games over 500 at that point in time what does that do for this team getting chris sale back well so jeff look it depends which chris sale right if it is the chris sale pre-Tommy John, a healthy Chris Sale pre-Tommy John can help them. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the real concerns here is it's been a long time since Chris Sale's been healthy. We're going on four years, basically, right. since the middle of the 2018 season. And uh, this latest setback is not related to his elbow. He had a, 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 a rib stress fracture, basically. or call it an oblique injury. It's all sort of connected. That was supposed to keep him out until the beginning of June. They put him on the 60-day injured list to start the year. But now he got pushed back another couple of weeks for an undisclosed, non-injury-related matter. The Red Sox have been very cryptic and vague about it. So, you know, I still have my doubts on whether he's coming back at all. But he is back up throwing on the side again. In theory, he could be throwing live batting practice by the end of next week. Uh, And then if that happens... Uh, I think you're looking at a rehab, you know, probably three or four starts. So could he be back and call it three or four weeks, closer to four? My answer is yes. And it could do, I could do enormous things for their pitching staff. If he can come back and be a, an anchor to the rotation, and even if we don't call him Cy Young caliber, if we call him front-end caliber starter, it'll give them one more arm to put into the bullpen uh, where they clearly have holes. Uh, maybe that's Garrett Whitlock who goes back there. It could be any one of a million scenarios. But, you know, the, the, to add a guy like that to your staff, if he's back to who he is, sure. I just, I don't know, Jeff, call me a cynic. Call me a skeptic. Call me negative. I I won't believe it until I see it. You know, Kevin and I, Kevin and I have talked about uh, Christian Vasquez on and off since we started doing the show. He always seems to have great, good series against the Blue Jays. He always seems to be in the center. We were just watching that bit of the game last night. Yeah, he doesn't get talked a lot about. But how important is Christian Vasquez to that team? Because we both, you know, we both look at him. We go, man, that's it's just it's 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 great to see a catcher like that. It just is. It's great to see a catcher like that. And we don't always necessarily 
focus on catchers that much anymore. When we do, we talk about framing and things of that nature. But how important is he to what goes on in that team, not just on the field, but in the clubhouse? Because he seems to be in the middle of a lot of things. Well, so he is right now, Jeff. Honestly, up until recently, he's really had kind of a horrible season. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And I, believe it or not, I tend to regard him as one of the more expendable pieces on the team. Uh, because there are certain guys that prefer to work with Kevin Plawecki because they think he, they think he's better at calling a game than Vasquez is. Now, offensively, uh, Vasquez will go through stretches where he puts the ball in play a lot. He homered last night, but he's typically not a home run threat. He had a 20 homer season a couple of years ago, but he's really more of a contact guy. Uh, but if he has a good year, you know, he can hit in the 270 range. He can get up to that or something close to that. Um, and uh, the big the big thing that he brings really is the ability to throw out base stealers. Mm-hmm. You know, when he came up for the minor leagues, he had an absolute cannon, bordering on Pudge Rodriguez status, and then he blew out his elbow, and his arm hasn't been quite the same since, but it's still pretty good, and he gets rid of it very quickly. So, you know, the Red Sox were poking around about catchers during the offseason, and I'm not trying to minimize, you know, look, anybody that's a, a regular big league player uh, obviously, is a guy that can uh, that can contribute on a regular basis in the big leagues. So I'm not telling you Vasquez is a is a complete bum, but I think that the, if they were to you know suffer some sort of injury to a guy that's a regular starter, I think Vasquez is probably one of the ones that they can withstand more than others because they don't rely on him for a lot of the critical elements. Uh, you know they. I mean, again, I'm, he's a he's a solid a big league catcher, but I think that there are other guys in the lineup and in you know on the field and in the lineup that are much much more important. Tony, the Blue Jays, uh, you know, when you're looking at the 40 game span here, there it's obvious that they need a left handed bat. Is there a must have right now for the Red Sox? Is it a first baseman? Is it a swing and miss arm out of the pen? Is it a better defender? Uh, what do they need? Must have. Well, so I, I would say, too, Kevin, I think there are two critical things. One is they need back-end bullpen help. That's number one on the list to me uh, because they just have blown too many leads. And, you know, they, they, they are now one in six in extra innings. And in their six losses, they took a lead into the eighth inning all six times. So if you were to just make it three and three in those games, well, then, you know, they're 23 and 19, and they're not two games under 500 right now. So that would make an enormous difference just if they could have split those other six. Now, I will also say I put first base as a close second uh, because first base has been really a black hole for them for two years. There were still too many sloppy defensive mistakes from my liking over there. Uh, the offense is inconsistent. Franchi Cordero has given them something lately a little bit. Uh, obviously had a walk-off grand slam on Sunday. But, you know, he's a guy, too, that's not a first baseman uh, by trade. They kind of plugged him in over there because they had such a great need. But, you know, the defense with him is also suspect. And he's improved a lot since last year. But he's still not, to me, representative of what a big market team should have at, uh, at a position like first base. They can do better. They should do better. Uh, and I expect that they will do better because, look, again, when you're a big market team, you, you can't run it like you do the Tampa Bay Rays, which is where High and Bloom came from. Tony, really good of you to do this, man. Thanks as always. Thanks, Tony.
Hey, guys, listen, anytime, Jeff, it's always good to talk to you. Yeah, you be well, Tony. Okay. Tony Maserati, Red Sox analyst with Nesson, host on 98.5, the Sports Hub in Boston. Not a getting great Anthony. baseball no, writer. He sure is. Not, not getting Anthony Rizzo. For me, I know there's some rumblings that they were trying to get him and him going to get the Yankees. And I know that's probably where he wanted to go back to I still was t- the Yankees. But, man, he would have been a good I'll fit for what, the Red Sox. I, I still think, I still think, even with what Trevor Story's doing lately, I would have really, I would have dropped the hammer in getting Kyle Schwarber back there. Because to me, Kyle Schwarber would have made some sense. <laughs> sure would have. Um, hey, you know what time it is? It's time for Barker's Back Leg Bits. I don't know who he was praying to, but Barker's like, get up, get out of here. And the guy's right at the fence, like, I got this one, you know. The umpires would throw the balls out, like, hey, Barker's up. Bring in the six balls. We need the dead ones. Bring in the dead ones. Hey, Bark, why don't you just not worry about it? <laughs> yes, yes. At least he said six balls and not three balls. That's you know? true. Three strikes, you're out kind of three thing. Three strikes, you're out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder what he's thinking of with six balls. It's hard to say. Uh, Barker's, yeah, it is. It's probably, we probably shouldn't waste a great deal of time doing it, should we? It is Barker's Back Leg Bits, that time of the show, that magical time of the show where we turn over the questions to you, the listener slash viewer slash potter podcast follower. And uh, you can DM me, SN Jeff Blair is my Twitter handle. We got to get Barker Twitter Twitter handle. Absolutely not. Yeah. Why is it that none of my co-hosts ever want Brunt never had Twitter either. He's smart. That's probably right. Um, I had to get it, you know. No, you didn't. I had to get it in the newspaper, the Globe Mail. We had to. We had You're not in the newspaper anymore. Yeah, but then when I came over here, one of our former bosses said, no, you need it. It's a great way to keep in touch with people. My response was, yeah, but there's a lot of people I don't really want to keep in touch with. Like, my argument is generally in Twitter. If you're the type of person that would sit down me to, next to me in a bar and cause me to get up and leave, I don't want to follow you in Twitter. That's, Anyhow, a lot, that's a lot of thought into something. It, that, it yeah, probably yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, this is from Jason LaRue, who can sit beside me any day at the bar, providing he's buying. Now, I actually love this question <laughs> because right. we were talking. Yeah, and <laughs> you know it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this yesterday, uh, Kevin Gossman and the suggestion that the Seattle Mariners might have picked mm-hmm. up something on him and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Jason LaRue wants to know, I've actually kind of wondered this, Jason. If a team was able to find that a pitcher was tipping his pitches, would they tell another team if it would directly benefit them? For example, if the Jays were to find a tell in Garrett Cole, would they let the Orioles know as the Orioles beating Cole would benefit the Jays? If the Mariners had something last start on Gosman, as was suggested by some, they certainly didn't share it with the Cardinals or Brackets or Pete fixed it. Mm-hmm. Interesting because I think would an organization, would Ross Atkins call up another general manager and say, hey, we got this? I would say absolutely not to that. But if, 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 if I, hey, but if I'm Ty France and you're pitching for the cards and we're buddies, you don't think I'd, I'd uh, call you up and go, hey. Yeah, but a buddy's different than an organization actually calling another organization okay. and going, hey, uh, you know, I have better people that know more about the game of baseball and know how to break it down and figure out why but he's doing this. I'm t- going to give you the answer. I will tell you this, though. Going into the playoffs, Scouts from one organization or GMs from one organization, they pick up the phone and call their buddies. You may have, you know, you may have played the Houston Astros. By the Astros. time the playoffs roll around, most of these most of these pitching coaches and hitting coaches right. have found so many little different weaknesses from each player. And I just mentioned to you, Kevin Gosman, the hand, the glove hand was a little bit more tilted toward the shortstop. Last night, it was more closed off towards the first base. So back. it's not like it's something super secret. to this already because yep. I noticed it. Yeah. And I know if I noticed it. 
Pete Walker noticed. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a good answer. And and, and um, but I mean, I think it's just you know today's teammate could be tomorrow's opponent. Tomorrow's opponent could be today's teammate. Maybe, but uh, yeah, but maybe how, how many? How many? Really, you got to be have a lot of confidence. It's like I'll give you an example. I never did want to know what pitch was coming because I just didn't trust the player. I didn't think he knew what he was doing at second base. I don't trust you. And I was such a... Says a, a lot about your teammates. So, well, there you go. I was such a fastball hitter. I wanted to know fastball. I was okay. hunting heater. I wasn't going to go to the big leagues. Kevo, Kevo, he's throwing a curve. Yeah, yeah, by him go, you know, he'd be leaning one way a little bit more on breaking ball. Well, if he leaned and it was heater and I was looking breaking ball... Me and that dude have issues, and I just that's why I would just stay away from that because you know that, that good teammate thing, yeah, you know, whooping somebody's butt because they gave you the wrong sign. I'm trying, trying to like a good teammate, isn't I'm it? trying to remember who though, uh, and maybe maybe somebody out there, if you have the answer, you can you can DM me before the show's over, or maybe even we, we can look at it a little bit tomorrow. There was a guy who was traded to the Blue Jays, this is like five, six, seven, eight years ago. And he, I remember him walking up to, and I, I don't know that, I just, I vaguely remember him walking up to the guy and saying, hey, dude, when you were in, when I was with, you know, pick a team last year, we had your change up. And this is what you were doing. And I can't, I can't remember the story. I'm sure I could Google it and find out. I mean, stuff like that does happen. But yeah, I don't think an organization ever, ever necessarily calls up and says, uh, Most of the know. time, it's that player trying to stick it to the team that yeah. got rid of him or didn't re-sign him. And say, hey, I'll tell you, you know, he wiggles his if, glove with the breaking ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, hey, thanks, obvious. I already knew that. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is the bingo card. Somebody, Gregory Zink. I got to uh, give a shout out to Gregory Zink here. The Blair and Barker bingo card. Uh, these are the, and there's a very nice picture of the two of us uh, taken. Well, my picture's much nicer. Well, mine yours. was mine was 50, 53 pounds ago. Uh, that picture was taken. Ah, God, I was a pig. Anyhow, uh, this is the bingo card. Blair conspiracy theory, Vlad Absolutely. home run, fluition, Ooh, I love Romano that. save, Blair craps on the Red Sox, mm-hmm. writer guest, runners in scoring position, player guest, back leg city, lefty bats, bullpen arms, big daddy hack, coach guest, wild card, umpire guest, Blair pisses off Barker. Gossman win. Athletic position. Blair defends umps and Espinal up. There Nailed you go. It. That's a Blair and Barker uh, bingo card. Thank you very much for that, Greg. That's way, 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 way too much. We appreciate it. Way too much work. But we do appreciate it. We certainly do appreciate it. Uh, what was the other question I liked here? Ah, yes. This is the uh, uh, Baba. Must be an important Twitter account because it's locked. Question for Barker's back leg bits. With the bats still struggling, should the Jays circle back on bringing back Dante Bichette? Felt like the players benefited from having him around before he resigned during the lockout. The only reason I'm mentioning that question is because we get a lot of, like, seriously, I get Dante Bichette, I get more DMs about Dante Bichette sure. than I do about both. I'm going to answer this question the, the about as nicely as I can answer it. And I, and I think I'm pretty spot on. If Bo wanted his dad here, his dad would be here. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's uh, I think that's absolutely, I think that's absolutely a good way to put it. Uh, good buddy Brando, this will be our last one. Something to chat about for your next recording. We do a recording. Do the Jays consider Groshans calling up Groshans for a trial period while he's hot to potentially help jumpstart the lineup? We get we do get a lot of questions about that about him about Moreno, right-handed. 
Dan Schulman mentioned Moreno. Moreno showing a little bit of power, got good average. If you trade I, Kirk, if you trade Kirk for a left-handed bat and somebody else, Nate bingo. Pearson, exactly. throw him in there, then yeah, you call him up. But right now, I want I want Gabriel Moreno doing what he's doing in Triple failure. A. You want him to go through failure, so when he gets up here. He's not sort of like Vladdy. Now, Vladdy's a whole different animal offensively, and I'm not comparing the two, but I'm saying you got to know what to do when it goes off the tracks. How do I get it back on the tracks quick? Like, what drill? What was I thinking? Who did I talk to? Who did I call? Like, there's all these things that you need to know that young guys go through at, their, at the highest levels, and he's going through that at AAA. Yeah, it's – I'm really – I'm just really uncomfortable with bringing up Saviors. I'm, you know what? <laughs> yeah. If you are playing well at AAA and the Jays are playing well, then they, I, I just don't like bringing up a guy like Moreno when the team's slumping because I don't care how you spin it as an organization. Everybody's going to view him as a savior. There it is. I don't care what you say, how you disguise it, whatever. Everybody's going to view him as the answer. And if he kind of does what minor leaguers do sometimes and they get called up, it's going to be disappointing. I, I don't want him here until September. To me, if you have to bring him up before September, you failed as an organization. Wow, look at it. Uh, that's it for Blair and Barker today. Jays have the day off. We will be back tomorrow, 10 to noon Eastern, on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Great day. <laughs>